rootslandnation.com Wear your culture. 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 Henry K. Henry K. Productions. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. After a little time working in Jamaica, I developed a routine, got comfortable. In a city like Kingston, that could be dangerous. Bob sensed something was wrong when he dropped me at the Indies, but he didn't say anything. That wasn't his style. However, my new best friend Tex, he did. He was waiting right in the lobby. Of course he heard what happened earlier. It was on his turf. Of course he had something to say. The rude boy Tex always did. Jesus, peace. What just happened this morning? I'm glad he thought it was funny. Because I was seriously thinking about booking a ticket on the next flight home. Having my head served as a human shish kebab while working in Kingston... Not a job skill I wanted on my resume. Tell you what, grab two juice and I'll meet you at the spot in a few. We'll talk then. Actually, Tex, tonight you go buy the beer. Okay, my I'm gonna go wash up. I'll meet you up there in about 15 minutes and we'll talk. Don't watch nothing. You're good. Part of my daily routine was meeting Tex up on the roof of the Indies and unwinding after a long day of work with a couple of cold red stripes and a big spliff. In a little area in the back corner he called The Spot. Tex had set up some chairs and an empty crate of Guinness as a table. Although the streets he controlled with an iron fist were just down below, up on the roof, under the Jamaican stars, Tex felt a million miles away from the grind and hustle. And I actually looked forward to these chill sessions. But tonight was different. And tonight might just be my last. And that's a shame. Because just 24 hours ago, I was on top of the world. Yesterday was a quiet Jamaican Sunday afternoon. Brother Nelson's car windows were wide open as we cruised down Norman Manley Boulevard on our way to Port Royal. Oldies played from his tape deck as we straddled Kingston's Harbor to the south. I could see the airport clear across the way. Before reaching Harborview, there's a series of industrial parks, factories, and refineries on the north side of the road. We drove by the Jamaican flour mill, then past the Carib cement factory, which triggered Brother Nelson telling me the same joke as he did when he picked me up at the airport. Hey, Brother Henry, you ever know why Jamaican dumplings are so tough to chew? Yes, I know, Brother Nelson because the flour mill is next to the cement factory. Yes, Brother Henry. That's funny, right? They make the flour next to the cement. The streets were clear of buses and cars. The shops and businesses were closed. Kingston just smelled like a Sunday. It was the one day a week you could feel a hint of the island's tropical splendor penetrating through the city's oppressive smog. It was the one day of the week, if they were lucky, 
The ghetto's battle-worn residents could escape the war to the sanctity of their churches or to the holy ground of a neighborhood football field. We were on our way to Morgan's Harbor to see a reggae show featuring Bob Andy and a collection of Jamaica's finest vintage singers. Bob told me he preferred the word vintage to oldies, although I don't think he liked either. I was treating Brother Nelson and Bunny Ross to a concert as a thank you for all the help they had given me while I was here in Kingston. I was also taking... Um, excuse me? Oh, you know I mentioned me, Romy, to the people them. Romy, I was going to mention you. You didn't even give me a chance before interrupting. Is what? A what? You're embarrassed to say you bring me to the show with you? Embarrassed? Why would I be embarrassed, please? Henry? Anyway, I was also taking the lovely Miss Romy to see the show, as I thought it might help her to gain an appreciation for the roots of the music. Them all these things are just too boring, like... Boring? Low energy something. Can't bother with that. Low energy? Hey, you see this younger generation, Aya? Them have no respect for the roots. Yo, listen to us. Don't make me and you get into anything, you know. I'm just expressing my opinion. Them have to learn them history. Go on side and backward with that. Fire! All right, everybody calm down. Let's just enjoy the ride, please. Brother Henry, the place where we're going, you know, Port Royal, our pastor says that the Lord destroyed the city, you know. He told us that it was an evil and wicked place, so the Lord just destroyed a true thing, Rasta. Selassie, I burned down Babylon to the ground and shell it out. Fire upon Rome. Neither Bunny or Brother Nelson were exaggerating, because the story of how the sleepy little fishing village of Port Royal became the largest and most infamous city in the New World, and then went back to sleep, is actually pretty biblical. Welcome to the Caribbean. Port Royal sits on the mouth of a thin peninsula that juts out between Kingston City and the Caribbean Sea. For thousands of years, the natural protected harbor was a prized and peaceful fishing spot for the Arawak Nation, Jamaica's indigenous people. Unfortunately for the Arawaks, what they weren't protected from? Violence, destruction, and disease brought by Christopher Columbus and the Spanish colonists that followed him to Jamaica. By the 17th century, most of the Arawak population had been wiped out by the Spanish, who claimed Port Royal for its strategic location in its ongoing war with England. If things weren't bad enough already, when it was captured by the British in the 1650s, That's when all hell broke loose. Literal hell. Now the British had to protect their newly acquired colony. And rather than risk their own sailors and Royal Navy in hostile waters, so far from home, they gathered together a band of mercenaries, buccaneers and pirates, known for their barbaric cruelty and rapacity, and commissioned them as privateers under protection of British law. You know, the mountain police... Privateers were basically legalized pirates, corrupt cops with badges. Badges? We ain't got no badges. And they were unleashed on the Spanish ships and colonies with permission to rob, rape, and wreak havoc, all in the name of king and crown. With stolen wealth, loot from pirate raids, and profits derived from a vibrant slave trade, Port Royal soon became one of the wealthiest cities in the world. Known as the Sodom of the West, it attracted exactly the sort of characters and debauchery that you'd expect. Pirates, slavers, criminals, mixed with conmen, prostitutes, and voodoo priestesses. 
all looking for fame and fortune. It was the real-life Pirates of the Caribbean meets the real housewives of Beverly Hills. Then, on June 7th, 1692, righteousness strikes the wickedest city on earth. And Port Royal meets its biblical fate. A massive earthquake described as God's punishment sends a third of the city collapsing into the sea, killing over 2,000 people. The following tsunami washes bodies on shore that decompose and bring disease and death to thousands more that survived the initial earthquake. Most of Port Royal's wicked residents probably didn't read their Bibles much. If they did, they may have been familiar with the Gospel of Matthew and where the foolish man builds his house. As it turns out, the part of the city that collapsed into the sea was not built on solid bedrock as originally thought. It was constructed on unstable sand. As it was in the beginning, so shall it be in the end. Over time, Port Royal went back to being a sleepy little fishing village, occasionally attracting the adventurous tourists looking to dive the ruins of the sunken city and search the area for lost pirate treasure. Morgan's Harbor, the small hotel and marina that sits at the end, is where the concert was. It was named for Henry Morgan, the brutal pirate-turned-privateer and slave owner that was later knighted and appointed Deputy Governor General of the island, which tells you everything you need to know about Jamaican history. Welcome to the Caribbean. While we waited for the show to start, Romy seemed reflective as she stared across the water to the Kingston Lights. I can't believe how peaceful Kingston looks from here. I had never heard her this quiet. I can't believe it's even the same city. Gosh, no, it gives me hope. Although she pretended in the car she wasn't excited for the show, she had told me she saved her tips all week so she could buy film for her camera. I never really heard her talk about her past or where she came from. What little I knew, Tex had told me. Romy had been on her own for a while, and apparently, life had not been easy. A pretty girl in a city like Kingston might have been a recipe for disaster, but Romy defied the odds. A hard worker with big dreams, she had a look of determination in her eyes that screamed, nothing was going to stop this girl. I watched her at work. She had a way of making all her customers feel important. All of them feel special. Maybe her biggest flaw was not recognizing how special she herself was. Maybe no one ever told her. It's funny how the people we meet, even the ones who just flash by our lives, end up having such a profound impact on us. Bunny Ross became a real friend and mentor. And when I wasn't rolling around Kingston with Bob Andy or in the studio watching him produce and record, it was Bunny that introduced me to all the various people, places, and parts that made Tough Gong operate. The nooks and crannies where all the good stuff happened. The little things that made reggae music reggae music. One such place, a small, unassuming room you'd walk right by if it wasn't for the sound of a kick drum practically knocking down the door off its hinges. Inside, a small studio, no bigger than 10 feet by 10 feet. Half the space taken up by the largest set of speakers I had ever seen. The other half occupied by a sonic superstar with a wide smile, ever-present baseball cap, and striped polo shirt. This was the realm of the Jamaican Spider-Man, 
Tough Gong's mastering guru. This Spider-Man superpower, the ability to weaponize a baseline. That extra, extra push over the cliff. Over the cliff. All you had to do to get him to activate it, give him an unmastered song and two warm Guinness stouts. And then, watch out. Mastering was a process designed to enhance and sweeten a song after it's mixed. Especially useful in the days when pressing vinyl. Since you would lose some of the song's dynamics on the high and low end, mastering was a way to compensate for some of that loss. However, as the street dances in Kingston flourished in the 70s, they became cutthroat competitions between rival DJs and their mobile sound systems, all looking to be crowned the king of the dance. Sound clashes, as they were called, became battles for bragging rights. The victors determined by the crowd reaction to who played the freshest selections and which system had the baddest, most booming speakers. The winner was the champion sound. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? Isn't it? These clashes had producers and engineers inventing ways to push the sound of the bass to its physical limit. An innovation that would go on to influence everything from hip-hop to EDM. That's when mastering a song became an art form in Jamaica. Spider-Man, the Picasso, who had one simple rule. His perfect song is like his perfect woman. Juicy but firm on the top, big and round on the bottom, and tight in the waistline. Just like a Coca-Cola bottle. <laughs> Just like a Coca-Cola bottle. You know, in these days of digital mastering plugins that utilize the latest spectrum analyzers and scientific algorithms to master a song, Spider-Man's advice still ages well. Minus the sexist reference, of course. Bunny Ross also insisted that I spend time working in the pressing plant where the records were manufactured. At first, I resisted the idea. The plant was brutally hot and had no ventilation. Then I had a Mr. Miyagi Karate Kid moment and figured Bunny must have had some kind of hidden purpose for me wanting to work there. Wax on, wax off, wax off. He loved music. He thought there was something deeply spiritual about every aspect of making it. Bunny once told me that a song comes to life when the singer records it, but it gets its soul when it's pressed into a record a finished piece of music that can last a lifetime. Something I really didn't understand until one day when we were at the Tough Gong record store and a young singer came in to pick up his order, the first few hundred copies of his new single. A box contains 25 records. I watched as he opened it carefully to inspect his order. It was like he was handling a holy relic. He pulled out the top copy and slowly unsheathed it from its paper sleeve and blew off any dust that had clung to the vinyl. He stared at his name on the label, and then he put the record over his heart and looked up. This song is for my mother. She sacrificed everything for me to be a singer, for me to learn music. He turned over towards me and Bunny, still holding the record over his heart. She still believes in me. She still shines her light. I think about what that record meant to him. I don't know if you can have the same spiritual connection with an MP3 file. She never stopped believing in me. Listening to the singer made me think about my own mother back in Woodmere, in her kitchen, worried about her son, wondering if I was choosing the right path. But she never stopped believing in me. And for someone pursuing a dream, sometimes that makes all the difference.
I've been in this business for a long time and this is definitely one of the most loving audience I've ever had to participate. Thank you so much. From, from, real reggae music. I've had everything Oh, I love this song. You see, Romy, sometimes you just gotta keep an open mind. This one nice. Honestly, it's sweet, man. What I tell you, Romy? Wicked! Big tune, big tune! Real reggae music. Bop, 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 bop. <laughs> I was surprised that I knew so much of the tunes there. I, I never realized Bob and the right so much. Some of these new singers, they can't do this anymore. Rasta love Rasta real supreme. We were all buzzing with excitement on our way back to town. There was no doubt the night was magical, and the music, powerful. You see the woman in the crowd, Ocean Ball theme? <laughs> okay. Romy was right. There were plenty of women crying at the show. But it wasn't only women. I also saw some men in tears. And as much as I loved hearing Bob and the other singers perform, watching the crowd was just as entertaining. At first, when I heard about the show, I figured that it was going to be mostly attended by Kingston's upper class, the high society people that I had seen around the restaurants and hotels in New Kingston. When I got to Morgan's Harbor, I realized that it was just the opposite. This was more of a blue-collar, working-class crowd. People like my crew. Drivers, handymen, waitresses, office workers, salesmen. It had been 25 years since Jamaican independence. And this was Kingston's newly emerging middle class, the first generation to grow up as independent Jamaicans. For many, the first generation to leave their poor country parishes and come to the city. The first generation to escape the ghetto and pursue a better life. They were also the first generation to have something that no other before them had. They were the first generation who grew up listening to reggae music, their music. You see, when they heard Marley's words, emancipate yourself from mental slavery, none but ourselves can free our minds, or when they heard Bob Andy sing, just take these chains away and set me free, these were more than just songs to dance to at a Saturday night party with their friends. This was music and lyrics that was a guidebook for life. This generation had reggae for a teacher. And while most of the artists of the genre lacked a formal education themselves, the songs they sang and wrote taught lessons that uplifted an entire nation. And now, was spreading across the globe with a message of love and tolerance and acceptance. But as I was about to find out, not everyone in Kingston got that memo. a civilization where human beings of whatever color, race, or creed should be born with the equal privileges of the fundamental human's rights. Rootsland Podcast is produced by Eric Kane Association.
Nation with Vicebox Studios. Make sure the item click the link below, you know. Make sure you click the link below. Like, share and subscribe. So join the Roots Gang and Rootsland. Yes, Rasta. Don't worry about a thing. Cause every little thing is going to be alright. Henry K Productions.